listening to the Food Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next half an hour or so, probably longer than that because we've got drink here, uh, we're going to be talking all things drink. I don't think there's any food today. Um, I'm joined by my fellow presenter Ollie Lloyd of Great British Chefs. Hi Ollie. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. We've got lots of glasses in front of us. I know it's Always you know that um, that that plan we had of the the alcohol free January is it's not working. It, is it? it was going so well, and now but this is for work. But this is work, so that it's doesn't not, count. It is doesn't right? actually no, it doesn't okay. count because I have to do it for my job. Great. Okay. So, so I'm allowed a little sort of bracket around right. it in terms okay. of my New Year's resolution. So when you wrote your New Year's resolution, you had said, bracket, but it said if I have to do this for, for work, work, it doesn't it's allowed. Count. Yeah. I like that. That's good. That's good, isn't it? I'll um, use that next year. <laughs> yeah. I'm also joined by Holly Shackleton, who is editor of Speciality Food Magazine. Have you been good so far this year? I can't say I have. I apologise. <laughs> There's no point in me making that kind of resolution. It's not going to happen. But you know, quality, alcohol. I'll allow it, yeah. That's a good resolution. That's my bracket. That could be a good resolution, only to drink quality alcohol. I should have thought of that as well. How do you measure quality, though? Is that by price or... Oh, that's a, that's a can of worms, mm, isn't it? <laughs> there we go. We'll open that one up. We'll open that. <laughs> we'll one. open that one up for debate. So our guests today are Jane Payton of the School of Booze. Hi, Jane. Hello. You and I have met a few times. Certainly have. So I'm so pleased to have you on here. Thank you. I've got loads, loads to ask you. Um, and uh, just by coincidence, Mardi Roberts of Ridgeview, who produ- produced the most amazing sparkly wine. Hi, Mardi. Hi. You brought stuff with you? Yes, I had to. <laughs> I had to. Not coming without. No, okay. You won't be allowed in. <laughs> no. Um, so, Ollie, can I just ask you a little bit uh, about maybe some stats? Um, 2018, um, people are getting more used to English sparkling, I think. Not so much English still one, I don't, um, is my thing. Yeah, no, we're, we're in 19, Sue. So yeah, we're but now, 2018, I was saying. We people were. People getting used we to it. Now, for 2019... Uh, there was a good harvest last year, yep. um, so it should be even better this year. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think what's interesting about the world of, of, of booze and, and foodies in particular is there are lots of debates about what people are having. And, and, and actually, you know, one of the amazing stats for us is that 20% of the UK don't drink alcohol, um, which, is a, which is a big number. It's obviously stronger also within the, the younger um, groups. Um, but I think what's exciting about today is we're talking about two areas, I think, of, of alcohol, which have been quite neglected in some ways, which is, you know, cider developed a really bad reputation, I would say, uh, in the 80s by just being kind of just rubbish, mass-produced stuff that you drank uh, under a bridge. Um, and Great for yourself. I'm talking about my youth, and Stronger was very useful in those days. Um, and actually sparkling wine, which, again, I think is quite misunderstood, um, and is kind of actually has become quite a price commodity, and so I think these are these are both areas where consumers, you know, need quite a lot of education. But if you go into a supermarket, um, and you know, over Christmas, there was definitely uh, a, a large bit of shelf space devoted to some really great English sparkling wine, as well as the usual French, you know, like Carver and uh, Prosecco. Definitely. Uh, um, so people don't see; it doesn't appear to be a, a sort of thing where people are saying, oh, well, that's that's a second-class citizen anymore. It's up there with everybody else at, well, at the same price point. Well. Certainly from a price perspective, it is at the same level as champagne, and it, but it's at a very, very, very much higher price point 
than your Carvers and your Proseccos, which are sort of sub £10. So I think there's definitely a, a big but difference But consistently, there. British Sparkling, so I'm differentiating that between the still wines, but British Sparkling is, is, is winning awards and doing all sorts of stuff. And that is because, particularly in southeast of England, the soil's amazing for it. You know, it's chalky, we've got the right type of weather, um, and actually it's getting increasingly difficult to do that in France, just from a natural, you know, geographical and weather perspective. Um, and we're beginning to have all those advantages, actually, to, 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 to making great sparkling wine. I should say, because this is radio, occasionally one needs to ex- explain the, the sort of the facial expressions that are going with words. There is, there's a sense of pride coming through from Sue, oh, yeah. because Sue is from Kent. I mean, well, and the, I'm, I'm from London, actually, but, but, but I live in Kent. in Kent. You live in and Kent. And you're a believer in, in what Kent's doing from a, from a food and, I'm and wine what, perspective. I'm a believer in what the UK's doing for yep. food, actually. And I think, but the majority of the wine stuff is down. Yeah, and, and for me, it's like the cheese thing. You know, I've been to restaurants ten years ago where I said, "Well, why isn't there any English cheese on a cheese board?" And I've actually been laughed at by by a waiter because he was French and he thought that was the most hilarious thing ever. You know, whereas actually now, cheese—you would never do that now. And 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 I, I feel the same about the beer we're producing, the cider we're producing, the wine we're producing, yeah. that actually we're not being laughed at anymore because we have been. And look, that started in food. You know, the, the food revolution that happened, you know, 10, 15 years ago where we started to have serious chefs is translating into lots and lots of other categories, be that cider, be that you know, beers, spirits, etc. And it's And that's kind of very exciting. Yeah, so I don't care if I'm being smug here. No, I know. I, I was just calling you. I was. I was calling I, you. I am it. proud. Actually, I'm proud of it. Yeah, no. I know, and I think we should, as a country, be proud that we're producing, you know, sparkling wines that that are winning awards up against the best of of France. And, and I have been lucky enough to be to be invited to a lot of the vineyards um, around the southeast, and they are great. They are great operations, um, and they're really getting to understand how to cultivate the wines, how to really look after pest control, how to get flavours out. And, and I think the same can be said from some of the orchards and all sorts of other things. They're really, really getting to understand it, I think. And hops, hopefully, coming and making a comeback, which we sort of got rid yeah, of all and those. There, and they're all some, coming back again. <laughs> and there are some amazing beer and, and cider being produced in this country, which, mm. you know, was certainly not the case a few years ago. Which le- leads me nicely to Mardi. So, Mardi, you've—I think you've worked at Ridgeview literally for ooh, a couple of decades. Yeah, well, virtually since the beginning. So it was begun by have, my parents-in-law. But have, have you um, seen that change in 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 respect and appreciation? I've seen amazing changes. You know, I love some of the words that you're kind of coming out with, sort of pride and quality. And when we, um, when my parents-in-law began Ridgeview, I have to say at the start, I met my husband, who is a Ridgeview winemaker but in Australia. So if you hear the little Australian accent, that's where it came in. But I have been here um, sort of right from the from the beginning of Ridgeview. And when we started, yes, English wine was seen relatively as a bit of a joke, really. Um, so, so when did it start? So what, what, if you yeah. go into the history, so when was yeah. the first English wine in... Since the Roman But in living memory, in living memory, when, was well, it, when did it re- re- reappear? We, it, we had a lot of still wines, um, you know, from the uh, 60s, 70s, I'm concentrating more looking at the Germanic grape varieties and, and that. Um, but the sparkling wine revolution, which is kind of what I would call it, um, began in the 90s, really. So it was um, us and another company that you've probably heard of called Nightimber that were one of the first to sort of plant and look really not that far away from, you know, the next great wine region in the world concentrating on cool climate, which was Champagne. So looking at what they're doing and realising the similarity in the soils and the weather conditions. So it, it, it was a bit of 
a jump and a bit of a risk at the time. Um, my father-in-law was always an entrepreneur and was willing to take that risk, but it was a calculated investment. And yeah, we began producing about 20,000 bottles. When we first took our wine to market, um, we we were getting people to do it, taste it um, rather than sort of looking at the labels and entering it into competitions and things like that. But we knew we could do the quality, but we had to then sort of turn around and, and teach people, as you've said, educate on why we're doing what we're doing and change minds and opinions, which... We've, I've seen an amazing change in minds and opinions in the last sort of 15, but, 20 But it years. is a long-term view and it's a huge investment. Mm. Uh, exactly. You know, and if you are going to do that, you, you're looking at five, mm. ten years ahead. Yes. Uh, which in this yeah. world of can I have my coffee in ten yeah. seconds is, is, you know, it's difficult and it's expensive yeah. to fund. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I think that investment's really beginning to pay off. Um, and for those who are not, not really very familiar with traditional... I was going to say proper. God, that's a really bad word to use, isn't it? Uh, champagne and mm -hmm. the reason why it's called champagne. We've obviously got the three grapes, which are Chardonnay, Pinot Noir um, and Pinot Meunier. Yeah. Um, but actually, people are growing that here now. Quite we are. Yeah. Yep. So we planted in 95, um, originally sort of around 20 acres, producing about 20,000 bottles. We now have partner growers growing for us all over the southeast, producing about a quarter of a million bottles. And we're looking to double again. And that's just not us. The growth in the industry, the last two Two years there's been over two million vines being planted so it's kind of watched this space at the moment excellent excellent mm. um holly from your background obviously speciality food magazine we've got farm shops and delis and you know all sorts of other things are they are they really looking to to sell english wine beer cider sparkling wine are you, are you seeing that i think they are because um their customers are looking for food with a british focus food with a with a story um locally sourced products um, I think it's just a case of, as you say, kind of educating the consumer. And I think the retailer needs that education as well, because, you know, if they've been running their deli for 20 years, champagne's always been the go-to. It needs to be explained to them why they should opt for, you know, the British version. What a great segue that was. Why should they? Oh, I know. We'll taste some, Mardi. <laughs> yes. Now, you've exactly. got a bottle in front of us. I do. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, I know that you produce uh, some with your own label, mm -hmm. but you produce for other people too. Yeah, we do. So um, Carry we... on opening one. No, that's <laughs> fine. So we have our own label um, with, of the Ridgeview Wines, and we've got six in that range, um, and just using sort of different variants of Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier. But we also do some exclusive labels. So in collaboration with Marks & Spencers, we make a wine with them. Their winemakers come and blend with us. Um, that's just one an amazing gold trophy in the International Wine and Spirit Competition. Um, and then we also make some wines for the Wine Society. Oh, there Love we go. that noise. So much. <laughs> <laughs> sort of new, sort of new Year January yeah. noise. It's, well, it's just, you know. Wash away those January blues. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> What's so, the line? Forget about life for a while. <laughs> well, we've got a tagline that every bottle that you open that my parents-in-law came up with, and it's called Life is for Celebrating. Yeah. So January's um, for Celebrating. I think if you only just pour it for me, everybody's going to get the ump around the table. So if you wouldn't mind <laughs> so, doing that. So let's, let's talk about the price thing, because the, yeah. the, so a bottle of Ridgeview yeah. roughly retails for what? Um, roughly the one that we're having now, um, which is available in Waitrose, is around £30. Okay. Yeah. And then we have some of our vintage wines as well that go up to sort of £50, £60 a bottle for the ones that have limited editions. And so well. £30 would compare with a sort of a, a Moe or a non-vintage non-vintage, um, you know, on the shelf sort of um, champagne. It's about the same price as a bottle mm. of gin really, if you think about it. Yeah. 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 Um, Jane, you're um, an expert um, sommelier, pommelier, 
beer person. You're the best person to take us through what this tastes like and smells like, please. From a, from a you know, objective point of view. Well, we're all different in the way we respond to our food and drink. Our senses are all different. But what I'm getting is some citrus on the nose, some lovely champagne characters, brioche. I can smell that it's quite acidic. Mm. Taste it. Is this all correct here, mm. Maud? Are you, getting, are you in agreement with this? I get a sweetness at the front of the tongue and then it goes into lovely acidity, Biscuit. very refreshing, lovely moosiness as well, that lovely mouth-filling character that you get with uh, with great sparkling wines. It's leaving me quite tingly. juicy and tingly in the mouth, mm, which juicy. makes me want to take another mouthful of it. So I think that's always the thing to do, always take another mouthful. So I will. I'm, f I'm finding a little bit of biscuity brioche in there, just in the middle. Yeah, so yeah. This one is Chardonnay dominant, so we get that, as you described, the sort of tropical citrus fruits at the front. Um, but the wonderful thing about those three great varieties, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier, it's the backbone of the Pinots that comes through as well. So our Bloomsbury we see is a lovely celebration wine, really wakes up the palate, and I love that expression, as you've said, mouth-watering, because it does, um, you know, want, makes you want to go back for more. Holly, comments? Um, this is my happy place. I'm very, it's so delicious, really delicious. And I, I imagine it would match with a good, uh, good number of foods. I'm well. thinking this would be really nice with smoked salmon. Perfect. Mm. I would have suggested the same. Lovely mm. canapes, but also smoked can because you also get the bready. Nice salty bready mm. go, going on with yeah. this because yeah. it, it is so juicy. Mm -hmm. Are you a champagne-y person? Um, Sparkling wine person? I'm not massively, I have to say. I mean, look, you know, I, I, I'm more of a sort of gin um, and whiskey person generally um, but there's certainly you're more of a smack me between the eyes sort of alcohol person aren't you well, I, I, you know I, I, big big flavour. No, well, yeah I mean I like things you know we, we, we had that one of your favourite moments we go back and think about the best moments of 2018 would be the moment we had the arak and ginger ginger beer yes that was good yeah that was good you see mm. um, but no I mean I, I, th I think this is, a, this is I mean this is a fantastic sparkling wine but can I I'm just going to keep bringing us back yeah, to this price question so, yeah. so why are Proseccos and mm -hmm. carvers so much cheaper than champagnes and English And we're talking wine. about six, seven, eight pounds, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, we're talking about like a third of the price. So Prosecco, for example, is made from the Prosecco grape. So Prosecco is a grape. Prosecco is a region in, in Italy as well. But if we go back to the basics, it's th those building blocks, that grape Prosecco is different than your Chardonnay, your Pinot Noir and your Pinot Meunier. So the grape will always taste different. The other thing that differentiates us um, from Prosecco is we make traditional method sparkling wine. So all of um, our bottles, are the fermentation happens within the bottle. They're all aged. They're taken down into the cellar. Whereas most Proseccos will use um, a, a, another method of production, which is just adding the bubbles, whereas our bubbles come from that second fermentation. So it's a lot more expensive um, when we presumably they're not blending either. No, they're not blending because you've got the one grape. Um, also, we all know, and we we, we live in England, um, it's expensive whatever we're producing. But what we're doing and what we wanted to do from the onset was always to be about quality and not cutting any corners. So all of our grapes are hand harvested from the beginning. They're picked into very small crates as opposed to, um, you know, other wine regions if you're making will um, crush the wines and put them in big. So quality from the out outset, um, we have to have due diligence and dedication in our vineyards to prevent from um, frosts. We have mm. to go out and like 
candles. But, but for um, me, that there's a place for so both. So why are you lighting candles? But lighting candles is because we are in a cool climate, um, so we are at risk, especially from bud burst for Evening frost thing. periods. So we have all these different associated risks. So to protect our vines in the periods of about um, you know generally March April, we go out and we if we this year was great, but there's been some years where the frosts have been relatively hard after bud burst so we'll have to go out and light all the candles individually to protect our vines and protect our vineyards. And where are the candles? I've got this lovely image here. It is quite beautiful. You can I can um, send you some images of them they're, but they're, they come in tins, paraffin wax candles and we have to go out and light individually to they're ward the off the frosts. On the ground, they're yeah. not scarecrows. Yeah. So I guess when people come, and and I totally appreciate your question of price, but when you come and see them, and we're all, you know, not just us at Ridgeview, but a lot of the vineyards, if you come and see behind the scenes that due diligence and dedication right from the beginning of the vines, taking that grape the whole process through, um, we have to age our wines a lot longer. Those fine pinprick bubbles take but, a lot of time a place and dedication both, to get in. I mean, so of course is there is absolutely. a place for both. But, 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 but the different, I actually do think they are different mm. things. I've, I think mm. they are, but I think that the, the, the problem is is that there is what I'm going to call an occasion, and mm -hmm. the occasion is, it's off, you know, based on all the data we have, you know, there's a, what I'm going to call a Prosecco occasion, mm -hmm. which is it's a dinner party, and people will buy a bottle of Prosecco, or two or three or four, depending on how many people you're having and how much they drink, to, you know, have that sort of pre-dinner moment. And they want bubbles in that moment. Mm. And the truth is, to do that with a champagne or sparkling wine is a significant cash outlay. Mm. And it's important that people understand what Why? that difference is. Yeah. And, and I also think that, you know, there are so many champagnes nowadays mm. that actually, you know, and I think they're of pretty varied quality, mm. actually, if we're honest. I think that, you know, the champagne brand yeah. is is quite, I mean... I actually think we've also got, because there's been such a, a big boom of Prosecco, personally, us as an industry, I think we've got a lot to thank it for because it's introduced people that may have been, you know, going down the spirit model or something like that or having party drinks into wine. And I think it's got them used to, to bubbles and, and sparkling and there's no doubt Prosecco is a lovely, refreshing drink, but when they want to trade up for something a little bit more special, yes, a bit more level, substantial, entry level thing, isn't it? I and guess. it's more about when you taste our wines, it's all about the length of the palate. Yes, mm. Prosecco carves great great party but when you want to sit down and really and enjoy and appreciate a bottle and I think this is where English sparkling wine and champagnes come in. So on that note I'm going to come to you Jane. Well it's a good talk, segue actually. Talk to me about cider in the same way because because be. cider you know Ollie. Yeah, I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry teenager. I'm sorry I referenced my naughty teenage years yeah. of drinking strong <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a bit the same. Yeah it's here. a bit the same as, as, as English you know rubbishy still wine from the 70s. We've come on quite a long way haven't we? Really cider. I'd just like to reference history in cider and without the cider makers of Somerset in the 17th century, we wouldn't have sparkling wine the way we know it. In nature, sparkling, anything sparkling is a fault in wine. It's a fault because it's a fermentation fault. It's too lively fermentation. But in the 17th century, after the English Civil War, when the landowners left London, there was no court anymore. They went back to their stately homes and started experimenting with the local drink cider and sparkling it. So adding sugar to it, getting a secondary fermentation. And suddenly it was this sparkling, beautiful, lively knittiness, they called it. That sparkle was knittiness. So that then translated into doing the same with wine. Now, the wine did happen to be French wine. It was imported from France into London. And they started doing the same with wine and getting sparkling wines. Now, the French at that point, that was still le vin du diable, the devil's wine, because the bottles exploded, they blinded you. Bad. But then the English started doing it and suddenly it was a thing. 
So we need to thank those cider makers. And I'm going to thank them again now. Thank you so much. So, so what, what you're also arguing, which is, a, which is a great argument, particularly as we stand in, in 2019, is that actually civil war, um, country <laughs> chaos can lead to innovation, which it always has in, you know, in the world of arts and the world of music. But what it means to me is exactly what's happening at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> don't rely on governments, politicians, any of those people, because actually we'll all jolly along and do our own yeah, thing so and so we'll survive. So drink more cider, drink more English sparkling <laughs> wine, it's all going to be fine. But, <laughs> you know, we'll all carry on without you. Thanks very much. Yeah. In British history, war has been a really good thing in terms of developing. You know, whiskey is popular, it was popularised. It was a peasant drink from Scotland. But because brandy wasn't available, because because it was French and we were at war with France, you were banned from drinking French wine, French brandy. What do you do? Oh, maybe we'll give that whiskey a try. A bit like gin happened to like that as well, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah, Same with barley wine going as well, on. barley wine beer. It was mm. uh, brewed and aged in oak barrels as a respectable English thing to have on your table while you were dining instead of that rather louche French wine, which was illegal. Now, I'm going to open a bottle of cider now. This right. is from Little Pomona, which is a boutique cidery in Herefordshire. And if I can possibly open this, I should... Uh, oh, well done. Excellent. Better at that. Now, this is... Um, Herefordshire is cider apple land, so this is a blend of cider apples. Cider apples are different to domestic apples or eating apples. With cider apples, you get tannins, you get acidity, you get sweetness. It's known as the Holy Trinity, and that you want those as a cider maker to build your wonderful cider. And eating apples just, just being too sweet in general? Well, they're very acidic, and they, they do have sweetness, but they make very delicate ciders. So these are big umphy ciders, yep. much more complex. And you look at the country in, in, let's say, England, you look at the country, and on the eastern side of the country, and Kent as well, cider is made from eating apples because they were grown for the big cities, the big uh, centres of population. On the west coast, you get cider apples, which is traditional cider land. And so you get tannic ciders from that side of the country. Soils as well are important. On the east side and Kent, you get the acidic ones, lighter, much more. If you made it akin to a wine, you're talking like Sauvignon Blanc wine or a Chablis type thing. If you're talking about west coast uh, West Country ciders, you're talking a bit more like a, a Bordeaux or something with oomph and tannins in it. I see. This might be more... So if you're doing cider, Ollie, you, you've got to do West Country. That's probably more your know, taste profile. It, it, it's funny. I, I cannot remember the last time... You had cider? I deliberately ordered a cider. Oh, see, I like It's funny, it's, but, and, but that's partially just... I mean, I think... It's funny, I went to, um, for one of our Christmas um, events, we went to a, a craft oh, wow, it smells brewer place. And they had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds in, uh, in, in Victoria. Um, and they had hundreds and hundreds of different, you know, international beers and all sorts of interesting stuff. And, I mean, there is really a kind of a growth in this area of small boutique people producing really interesting things. I'd really sort of thought about it much more in the craft beer world. But we're seeing the same in the world of cider, are we? It's starting to happen in the world of cider. Unfortunately, with the taxation regime that this country has, with the government, cider is taxed in a rather peculiar way. If you have anything additional in your cider, hops, for instance, then it's taxed at a different rate. It's taxed as wine. So your duty rates go up. So that puts it makes it prohibitive. You know, we need really need to rethink this about cider because what it's doing, it's stopping enterprise, it's stopping innovation mm. and these incredible imaginative cider makers. So they are stymied in a way and limited on what they can actually do to fall within those 
taxation bans. Another thing as well, and you alluded to it earlier, your teenage days getting drunk on, on cheap white cider, that has been taxed out of existence by the government, they hope, to stop people abusing that type of cider. So the street drinkers drinking 8% white cider, but it's a punitive tax which also affects small producers like this because they make real cider out of 100% juice. So your ABV is likely to be higher. They're never going to dilute it down, these small companies. Yeah. So they're going to be taxed at the rate of these humongous corporations that make white cider. So this one we've got in front of us, um, it's 7, 7%, which is which is pretty alcoholic. Uh, if you've got a beer at 7%, you'd, you know, you'd know about it. It smells amazing. I mean, nothing could be more different from the, the sparkling wine we've just had. It's incredible, um, isn't it? It does smell fantastic. This is a blend of four apples. I've picked apples at this cider in. I've helped them to make the cider. And each year they do this particular cider. It's called the old man and the bee. The old man is the man who who planted the apple or the trees. And the bees are the pollinators. The, the cider is made with, it's fermented with wild yeast. So the yeast is there in the air. It's in the skins of the apples. And each year they look and see what the harvest was. You said earlier about, was it a good harvest? How was the weather affecting the apples? So they'll look at the apples and and the sweetness and the tannins and the content of, of the apples and they'll change the blend of the cider. To bring it out. To bring it yeah, out. Absolutely. So they describe this as an expression of their orchard. Now they were winemakers in, in past careers. So they are making cider as wine, and cider is apple wine. When you're talking about this sort of cider, it absolutely is apple wine. Yeah, and this is still, uh, so it's, um, which I have to say I prefer still cider, actually. You can taste, for me, you can taste it better. Um, now, this, to me, doesn't really taste like it smells. Uh, I was a bit shocked when I then tasted it um, because the honey is so strong in it, and this is, there's a great earthiness, I think. Mm. I'm, Sue, remind me, Holly, remind me, we... A few weeks ago, we had a lovely person on who presented a uh, a drink that they discovered in um, when they were skiing. And I'm trying to oh, remember. Oh yeah, that's the guys who are making beer, uh, and and they were infusing it with all sorts of other yeah. with elderflower. I can picture it. Do you remember what I mean? I can't remember yeah. the name of the brand. It was lovely. But what's interesting for me is is that when I tried this cider, it rather reminded me of that beer in the sense that that beer we tried was not a beer, and you sort of drank it, and you're a bit like, "That's a lovely drink, and I'm really enjoying that drink." But I don't know what to call it. But I don't know like, what to call yeah, it because yeah. actually my hair, my experience of generally of beers is not that. And I find the same experience with this, which is I taste this and I, I actually feel it's almost unhelpful calling it a cider because it is one of those um, categories, I think, in the UK that hasn't yet reinvented itself. From a, It has a lot of baggage. It has a lot of baggage. And I think that... You know, it, it, it's a delicious drink. Do you like it? I do like it. I do like, I like it. But it. what I find really interesting is is that if you just said to me, here's an amazing drink made from apples, I'd be like, awesome, it's great. Really, you know, like, you know, but actually the, 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 the cider context, I think, you know, it, 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 it does requires a lot of work to reinvent it, doesn't it? Well, it shouldn't need to be reinvented because this is what cider is. No, I, but what and I mean what, is the public perception of... And the public perception of cider is this diluted, mass-produced, sweetened... Rubbish. ...ish. Mm. I mean, I've been talking about this and absolutely I agree with you, Ollie, that we need a different category for that sort of cider. Cider-ish or cider-esque, I've been uh, jokingly calling it. This is what cider is. It's like saying... That wine, wine coolers, for instance, or those 8% wine or spritzer sort of drinks, calling that wine? No, mm. it's not. But, that, but that's what's happened with craft beer. I think craft beer's managed to 
re-stake out its claim as proper beer, old-fashioned, how-you-make-beer, true-to-beer, honest. Um, and I think cider probably has to do the same. I don't, mm. Maybe it's... I don't really like the word craft, actually, but no. but, but but certainly it, it needs to carve itself back to, 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 to where it was. And so these small like producers are definitely doing that. They're really yeah. passionate about it. They're getting out there, educating people. And you mentioned the food foodie revolution earlier, and this is absolutely part of that, that mm. people are now looking for quality, not quantity. They want to drink up. They want to have experiences. They want authenticity. I know that's a horrible word as well. But if you went to this cidery... You'd be so amazed. Oh, my goodness. It's so natural. It's so beautiful. It's just bucolic and heaven. Mm. And I, I'm a beer sommelier as well, and beer is um, my first choice of drink, actually, any time. But beer is an industrially produced thing on an industrial estate or in somebody's garage. This is There's a degree the of alch- alchemy in beer making, in a way, isn't there? Science, science and alchemy. What you're saying is this is absolutely about agriculture and the land. And yeah. the fruit dictates to you, nature dictates to you what mm. the drink's going to end up like. Does that mean that there's less consistency in product? So is it that you were talking earlier about the harvest? Do you, if we were to drink this same cider from a year ago or to drink it in, in 2020, would it be cons- quite, would it flavour-wise be quite consistent or actually is the, is, the, is the changing relationship between the apples and the weather and stuff actually affecting the flavour? It depends who the the maker is. So a maker like this absolutely wants nature to end up in the bottle. If it's a large corporation cider maker, then they are seeking standardisation because that's what their customers want. Those they want sort it to taste the same same every year, year in year out, because yes. that's what they're buying. They're buying that consistency. Yes. Whereas this, I mean, I I've just tasted that, and I, I want Stilton cheese now with that. I'm getting a real mm. earthy mm. oomph with that. Yes, and cider drinkers who drink this sort of cider, they don't want to standardise things. They want those those different years and they want a sense of, oh, well, you know, do you remember there was that terrible frost and so the the yields were down and so... And the taste was different. The taste was yeah. different and in a way it's almost like being an anorak because you can then go, oh, I had that 2016 which was the year of the terrible wind that blew all the blossoms away and... But it's so interesting, isn't it? Because so much of food has been mechanised and standardised. And yet the truth is, is that within nature, there is a sense of anarchy that means things change. Mm. And actually, you know, one has to one has to celebrate that. You know, any of us who grow anything at home know that some years things work, some years things don't. And, and some things taste good and some they taste different, you know. Holly, now, are you liking this? Sorry, really, sorry. sorry. Are you liking this? I really am. It's really lovely. And um, speaking of Stilton, it did make me think of the kind of variations in cheese because there are some cheese makers in the industry at the moment um quick springs to mind um who are based in the west country um and they kind of make a point of cheese that's made from uh spring wine autumn wine um milk sorry not wine (laughs) um and it's just and they educate their customers about that so it's just the different tasting notes that come from the different seasons yeah so don't expect it to be the same it's going to be it's going to change as the land changes sue asked earlier holly about whether you felt that the, the sort of the, the super uh, the delis and, and specialist shops are doing a good job with sparkling wine, I sense they're doing an even better job with cider. I often feel when I go into sort of independent places, they're very good at picking up the local ciders. And is, is that true, or is that just? A... I'd say it probably is, but I don't know whether. I mean, that might be a case of there being more local cider makers. If you, I don't know if there are more um, 
you know, farmers, producers making cider than there are producing wine, mm. perhaps. You're not quite so much investment involved. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think also, I guess, when it comes to cider, there is that story and there is the magic behind it and the artistry and, you know, it's something that's relatively easy and simple for consumers to connect with. You know, there is that story very clearly there. Mm. If, you, if you could... If you could just uh, tell us a little bit more about a cider. While you're doing that, can you just um, pour out the other one you've yes, got? Yes, I will. Now, now, I like ice wine. You do. And, uh, and it's very, very, very expensive. And my favourite tends to come from Canada. Like I, I, I believe you've got an ice cider. Do you want to explain what the ice thing means for anybody that doesn't know? I will. I chose to bring this because I wanted to show the range of cider tastes. So we've gone something, gone from something very dry. We're going to something very sweet now. I'm just going to open the bottle. Now, ice cider is the equivalent of a dessert wine. I'm salivating already. You haven't even poured it yet. This is great. This is from a company called Once Upon a Tree, which again is a Herefordshire company. And what happens with an ice cider is that you freeze the apple juice and that concentrates the sugars. So the water freezes at a different temperature, so you can remove that. So you've got this really concentrated juice now, which has got intense sugars. So do you take the ice, so during the process, do you take the ice out? Is that what you're saying? So you freeze the apple juice and then you're removing the ice? Yes, because you just want the concentrated. So I suppose it's if you're cooking and you're really concentrating something down by boiling it, I suppose that just... It's the same thing. Yes. Uh, I mean, Mardi, uh, ice wine is... If I got it right, it's left actually on the vine, literally to yeah, freeze. Generally in Canada, and yeah, I'm a huge fan. Um, Inniskillen make a, an amazing oh, uh, sparkling okay. ice wine, totally so I'm I'm really interested to try this as well. But generally, that's what they do in Canada. They, they leave um, the grapes on the vine. Um, there's two ways, or then you can make betriatized uh, sparkling wine. And that's kind of leaving them on the to to rot essentially. But it all gives these intense sugar flavors and characteristics as well. Now, so this just, is this, but you're saying they freeze the apples yes because right. it doesn't get cold enough exactly, in, yeah. um, in yeah. britain to to be able to do what the canadians and the germans do it as well mm. actually so this is juice that's been frozen little pomona um uh, experimenting with a ice cider and they've actually frozen the apples so they've chopped them up and put the apples in the fridge and they're just doing some experimentations but this is the juice that's been frozen so two of my favourite drinks in the world are Armagnac, Armagnac, and um, also um, you've completely lost. I'm, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm just, uh, it's just Holly's face. We, we, it, we made the same face, face at the yeah. same time. So there's, 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 there's an island off the coast of Sicily um, that makes a particular um, fortified wine whose name is now escaping me, and that is a phenomenal fusion of the two. Um, I think that's an amazing. I mean, that is a it's a really, really delicious drink because you get the sweetness and the depth of the apple, but as you do with kind of an Armagnac type explore Calvados, um, but then you strength, get the, the strength is there. but you but 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 it's not quite you know with an Armagnac or Calvados. I mean, that's a punch. I mean, it's that's a like medicine. Isn't it? Yeah, but actually, that that is. That's lovely. Really nice. That's really special. It's mm. so delicious and appley and oh, it's got some tannins in mm. there as well. So you don't get that really unctuous sickliness. Pantelleria, that's what I'm looking for. Pantelleria, which is one of my favourite. Good word as well. It's also very, really well balanced as well. Mm. I think that's what they've been able. Well, what is the retail? It doesn't finish sweet, which is fantastic. It's just a little over £10. <gasps> so Bargain. I think it's about 8% Bargain. or 7, mm. 7 or 8%. Mm. And it's not a big amount of money because you just want a small glass of that, either 
after your dinner or maybe with the cheese, cheese as well. Cheese. It always comes back to cheese, doesn't <gasps> it? And lovely. just delicious. Mm. So we're drinking out of a wine glass. So you could have that in a sherry glass or just mm -hmm. a real small little... Um, where's that? No, the difficulty of these, where, so where is that kind of thing sold? I mean, I have never heard of, a, cider. of an ice cider. Yes. Again, it's the small shops that, Holly, you were mentioning, the farm shops online. Speciality beer and cider shops will sell it. I mean, these are small volumes as well, so you couldn't go into just any shop and, and see something like that. There would have to be speciality shops where the people who go in there and shop would be willing to buy something like that. You know, it's a fairly niche drink, this is, but it really shows how cider is so diverse. That's lovely. And but this is this is um, seven percent, so it's actually exactly the same as the the other cider that we drunk. But it still feels quite liqueurish, as in as an after dinner drink. It's got huge amounts of body and and viscosity, um, and therefore you could very responsibly and sensibly serve up some glasses of this. And it's not forty percent like a brandy would be, but it tastes as big as that. Yeah, which I think is what you're trying to say. Yeah, right? and but it's, so Pantelleria, which is. Which I don't know if you've tried is 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 just the most delicious of of Sicilian um, sort of fortified wines. R reminds me of, of this, and and I I really like fortified wines, but I often find some of the ones you know you, um, you could have just too sweet. Cloyey, they can. Well, they finish they can sweet. Be. This doesn't finish sweet. Which it doesn't. It's, I mean, I gorgeous. You get the apple, and I think that's really. Mm. It's not just the sweetness. So for anybody apple. listening, this is called Once Upon a Tree, uh, Blenheim Superb, and it's ice cider. 2015. We'll make sure we have a link from our website so that you can find out where to buy it. If they haven't got much, can you not buy much? Because yeah. I'm going to have a few first before <laughs> to order online. Before we yeah. all do. Really, before we, yeah, I mean, before they, they, they've got some in stock. They did a, a cider recently and it was um, it's Method Champenoise, so like the, the Ridgeview sparkling wine. A lot of cider makers do that. So it comes in the beautiful 75 centilitre bottle with the, the champagne cork and the muselet on the top, presented exactly like a sparkling wine. And they'd fermented with some um, Pinot Noir as well. So I haven't tasted it yet. It's in my stash to, to try. Oh, so coming back to your comment earlier, Ollie, about experimentation, there is experimentation going on for sure. And there's hybrids as well. Actually, there's a London um, cidery called uh, uh, called Hawks. They're in one of the archways under uh, Bermondsey. Yeah, it's the, a great place to go on Friday and Saturday night. Isn't it? The Bermondsey Beer Bim Mile. And it's yeah. on the Bermondsey Beer Mile. And they've done something which is known as graft. So they've actually fermented apple juice with beer uh, wort. And they've created this hybrid. And that actually is a thing. Not a Frosted. snake bite. No, that sounds really interesting. Wow, wow you've wow. just taken me back to the arches. <laughs> yeah, you're going to we, back, we, go back left to the arches. arches. We'd left the arches, we're now we're back at snake bite black. Back to the arches. Um, I, 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 I just really like that a lot. Um, really toffee apple isn't it? It's mm. got such an intense it's not sweet, toffee it's character. Just I just like the way taste. we're starting, starting January programmes with, I know, sorry with, about with that, a lot yeah. of alcohol. I mean, I think that's just... But you know, don't forget, you're allowed to drink if it's to do with work. And it's quality. And quality. Which we've ticked both boxes. We have. We're would doing you have very that, well. Would you have that in your deli or farm shop? Oh, oh I would, yeah. yeah. Well, I'd never sell it because I'd just use it all. It's just... It's so, <laughs> so, so would you have that in your office? No, no. <laughs> no, I love the bottle as well, and I think that's yeah. what sells it yeah, because so they've, they've done it in the slim, dessert wine. Yeah, thin, mm. uh, gorgeous presentation. Um, Jane, be, uh, as we just finished the program, tell us about being a pommelier. I believe you are the UK's first pommelier. Have I got that right? You're right. Well done. You. I know you're a, a massive beer expert, and I've listened to you speak and and. 
you know, if anybody wants to do a corporate thing around beer tasting or, you know, anything to do with a sort of way day or team building, you know, get Jane in because it's very entertaining and, and, and great fun. Um, but tell me about your cider uh, knowledge and expertise. My beer sommelier accreditation came through an organisation called the Beer Academy, and it's the official training for beer in the in industry for, for Britain and overseas actually people come and do that and about a year ago they decided it would become the Beer and Cider Academy because there was no official training for cider. Now cider is a massive industry and, and sec- drink sector in this country. 56% of apples grown in this country make cider. Britons are the biggest cider consumers in the world. They're also, Britain is the biggest cider production in the world. So cider is a major mm-hmm. thing. So a cider expert called Gabe Cook, the ciderologist, said we need some training. So he's written the courses, they are accredited, and I was in the first tranche of people to do the the training. You do a number of courses, you have to pass them, and then you do a practical examination, which is blind tasting, describing the ciders, identifying them. Is that a French cider? Is that a Spanish one? Is that a British one? Just the same as a sommelier. Exactly, Exactly. just the same as a wine sommelier, exactly that. You also have to show your advocacy for cider, your knowledge of cider and food matching. And so my cider and food matching, I took a menu from a state dinner that the Queen had held for President Sarkozy. Now, very kindly, they give you the wine match as well with that. So I said, well, that's the wine that they served with these dishes, but I would have put that particular cider or perry, which is a different drink completely, made from perry pears. And you have to say why it goes and, uh, you know, what the properties of the cider are. You have to show that you know the faults of cider. You know, there could be some... Butyric, you know, all the faults that you get with beer, for instance, or wine, you can get in cider. You have to identify those. But really importantly, you have to be an advocate for it and be able yeah. to communicate and go out and be an ambassador, as I call it. Um, <laughs> boom, boom. Thank you. Um, I'm just thinking, Ollie, uh, we need to capitalise on that because actually the UK, if, if, we, if we consume more cider than anybody else and we've got all these amazing orchards and stuff, and we're all trying to compete around the world in terms of beer and all sorts of other things. We should Maybe we should be doing more about cider. It's interesting. I don't think on Great British Chefs we've done anything really focused on cider production and, mm. and, and different cider producers and lots of stuff on, on on interesting cheese and interesting, you know, Matching. produce goats and all sorts of different stuff. But actually in the world of cider, I mean, I cannot remember the last time I walked to a major restaurant and they had a selection of interesting ciders. They just, just it's, it's just, no. It's good they don't. I mean, the, one of the problems is the price point, the perception that people have of cider being a low-value drink. The the restaurants have got limited space for storage. They want to make the margins, the markup. Wine, they can do that. They can get a better markup on the wine. Mm. People are willing to pay X amount for a bottle of wine in a way that they're not with cider, certainly not with beer as well. If we can enthuse about cider and pre- present these beautiful champagne-style bottles, the wonderful, elegant uh, ice cider there, and change people's perceptions of what it is, then we're more likely to see it on the menu. But at yeah. the moment, it's very rare that you see it. I mean, there are people trying to do it, but it's a real small need to have amount a bit of a campaign operators. on that, I think. A bit oh, of a campaign. There we go. Yeah. Believe yeah. You've heard it here first again. We've run out of mm. time again. Um, so thank you so much, Jane. I, um, I, I know that you're uh, the first pommelier, but you were f- you're also the first... Uh, 
beer sommelier of the year, 2014. Have I got that right? Yes. Um, there are quite a lot of beer sommeliers, but they had um, competitions to see who should get the beer sommelier of the year, and which I'll, I got, which was very exciting. Well done. I also had a lifetime achievement in beer recently from the um, British Parliament, mm. which to say that I'm not halfway through my life yet means that maybe... How do you know that? <laughs> because I drink really good alcohol. I drink oh, lots of beer. Yeah. I drink fantastic yeah. iced cider and I go to the gym. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what makes it. Makes you live forever. Yeah, so um, you've got your own uh, thing called School of Booze. I'd recommend anybody to go on there. And uh, again, we'll have a link uh, to the website. Um, but I know you're doing a lot in terms of trying to educate people around what's good and you know what beer really means and what uh, cider means so um thank you very much for joining us my pleasure thank loved you. you bringing the ice cider that was great oh, really interesting. really really good um and thank you as well to um mardi roberts of ridgeview good luck with um ridgeview it's uh, i know you represent the english wines as well i know you're, you're sort of big into that yeah. so not just your own but but trying to promote english in english wines full stop yeah exactly and on the theme of celebration we were really fortunate you know not just for ridgeview but for the whole industry to be awarded international winemaker of the year 2018 in the international wine we just, Spirit joined, we just joined by award winners aren't Ooh, we brother just, that's the um that's the criteria for coming on. Oh, is it? <laughs> it makes us look good. It does make us look it makes good. Us, we, we haven't won awards. Mm. Actually, that's not true. We did win an award the other day. But... You did? Yeah, we won. We won Website of the Year. Yeah, you did, didn't you? Yeah. Actually, but your Yay, website is lovely. Is celebration. I mean, you do have a million visitors a month. That's, that's... 1.5. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is astounding by Amazing. anybody. It is. Yeah. Mm. I think we've got four people come to my business. <laughs> different business more, model. We've got loads model. more going to Food Talk, obviously, but um, yes, whatever. Anyway, um, sorry we've run out of time. Uh, you've been listening to the Food Talk show and as you know, we're syndicated to radio stations across the UK and further afield as well as being available on Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes and the podcast app on your phone. Thank you to Jane and Mardi. Um, fascinating uh, visitors to our show. Thank you so much. And my fellow presenter, Ollie Lloyd. Thank you, Ollie. Thank You've you. learned a bit today, haven't you? I, I, I think it's. I think it's, it's been amazing, hasn't it? It really has. Yeah, mm. a treat as always. Thank you. Thank you, Holly Shackleton, as well. Uh, Specialty Food Magazine. Um, we're going to have a keep on drinking a bit of that ice cider. I think when we go off air, it's work still. It's, so, work yeah. it's work after. It's work. Quality. In in brackets. Well, um, and uh, if you know any amazing guests that you think should be on our show, someone doing something groundbreaking or real expertise like Jane and Mardi, please get in touch with us on Twitter at Food Talk Show. Or if you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts now, we've got three and a half years worth. Uh, please go to foodtalk.co.uk or, as we just mentioned, the Great British Chefs website. Do have a good week. Bye. Bye.